The German title translated into English is Exult in the Lord. We're praise somebody today, and we're losing, we're losing reasons to praise. Seems like every time we turn on the news. But there is someone who is utterly trustworthy, and he sits on the throne of the universe. Exult in the Lord. And we've come to do that. Man, have you been blessed so far? This has been a great worship. And put your hands up if you're glad that the sunshine finally has come to southwestern Michigan. Come on, double hands today. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we need that reminder. Exult in the Lord. Everybody said it. I'll just echo it. It's been a crazy week. But here we are in worship. And you swept our hearts heavenward to your throne room again and again this morning. Do it again one more time, please, from Holy Scripture. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't suppose any of us will ever forget those images this week on live television or live screen. Unbelievable. I'm having a meeting, and I'm talking with one of our church leaders. And I put my phone, it's right here in my office, so the phone's sitting on my desk. I always push it away so that I don't get distracted from it, but all of a sudden, bing, bing, bing. I said, who in the world is texting me at this time in the afternoon? And I'm trying to ignore it, but I see their, their text messages, and I see some of them, you can't see it from this far, but they have little pictures in them. What is going on? And then I saw the words on one of them. Are you watching this? <laughs> I'm saying, watching what? Finally, our meeting ended. I pulled that phone out, click onto one of those pictures. I cannot believe my eyes. I sit behind the laptop. Now I'm, now I'm watching it live, as you were. A mob of Americans crashing the barricades. Scaling the walls, smashing in the windows and doors of the U.S. Capitol building. I mean, look, I'm a kid. I was, I was born in Tokyo, grew up in Japan. But every time we came home, as we would call it, come home on what my mom and dad called furlough, we would always go to Washington, D.C., because my grandparents lived just outside of the District of Columbia. I've been in that marbled edifice I don't know how many times. And every time, even to this day, when I step into that, what feels to me like a cathedral, I almost start automatically whispering like, like I'm in church now. These are the hallowed hallways where the heroes of history once trod. Mercy. Now overrun by a mob of frenzied Americans incited into insurrection. And I don't know how to describe that concoction of emotions. You had them. I know you did. Shocked, stunned, tears, anger, fear. What's coming next? And the rest is history. A tragic and troubling history now for every American, no matter 
who you voted for or where you live. And because I'm not black, I didn't see it at first like my black friends and my black parishioners saw it. That that mob, had it not been a dominantly white middle class sort of mob, with people with plane tickets flying in from all over the country for the event. Had the tables been reversed as they were last summer, no doubt how quickly and forcefully that insurrection in the nation's capital would have been subdued. Instead, the trespassing mob for hours just wanders around. The next morning, I'm having worship. And I'm reading the book of Isaiah, thanks to my friend Roy Gaines' masterful treatment of Isaiah, I decided for the new year, I'm going to just read the book through, you know, just slowly through on my own. I'm reading Robert Alter's English translation of the Hebrew, three volumes for that Old Testament. And as I'm reading that morning, it's Isaiah 3, and I come to these words in verse 4. No need to look it up. I come to these words in verse 4, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put them on the screen for you right now. Robert Alter, Isaiah 3, 4, renders it this way, and I shall make lads their commanders, and, and babes shall rule over them. What's happening here in Isaiah 3 is that the government of Jerusalem and Judah is melting down. Chaos reigns. My eyes dropped down to the commentary because I read the commentary as well. I saw this provocative line, and I'll put it on the screen for you here. Robert Alter writing, in the political chaos that God will trigger, with all the leaders taken away, ostensibly every, every able-bodied man has been taken to war. They're, they're surrounded by the enemy. Mere lads and babes will be left to lead the people. And when I saw that word lads, immediately images from the day before, and you saw this image as well, the august congressional chamber where men and women, I mean, they're dressed to the nines with suits and dresses. They're lying on the floor. They're hiding from the young rebels pounding on the chamber door. You can see the shadows of the mob on the other side of the frosted glass. And between that mob and, and that window... And the lying politicians lying on the ground, a handful of security also dressed to the nines, but they've all pulled out their handguns and they're standing in case the door is breached. Last defense. I reread, and I did then, early that morning, I reread this line from Robert Alter, in the political chaos that God will trigger. I'm saying to myself, God triggering political chaos? Come on. How can it be? And then they started popping into mind. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you think happened there when it came down to the Tower of Babel? And here are the rebels. Communication back and forth. We're going to build a confederacy that will wipe out the faithful. God says, no, you won't. Steps into that picture. Scrambles communication, and the threat is eliminated. Political chaos, and the threat is gone. I think of that little queen, young Queen Esther, with that deadly plot of a politician named Haman, 
a plot to destroy the chosen of God. God says, oh, no, you're not going to touch my chosen people. Political chaos in the capital. And that's what happens. I even think of the time that Paul, the mighty apostle, he's in the chambers of the courtroom, the Sanhedrin, and suddenly the place erupts in political chaos just long enough for the Roman guard to extricate the prisoner before he's lynched like Stephen had been. I'm just thinking to myself, wait a minute. Apparently, God is well able to trigger political chaos, as Alter suggests, for the sake of delivering his people and or advancing his mission. Yo, Dwight, what in the world does that have to do with this Sabbath the day after? Here's the deal. You and I, in the midst of headlines that will continue, I am sure, must trust God to be so thoroughly immersed in the life of this planet, the life of this nation, that no matter what the outcome, he can turn it for the sake of his mission. In America, through political chaos, in your life, through personal chaos, he can take that chaos you're you're experiencing right now and turn it, may even trigger it, for the sake of your mission, for the sake of my mission. And it's that mission that suddenly becomes even more critical now that America, in the midst of this pandemic, has now plunged into chaos once again. For the mission, let's go to a story. Come on, open your Bible to John 20. I know it's not Easter. I know, but John 20, let's do it. This is one of my favorite stories. Don't you just love this story? John 20, early in the morning at the beginning of the chapter, Mary Magdalene. She's a woman that's been forgiven by Jesus over and over and over again. She even took some expensive perfume in an alabaster box, broke it just a few days ago, and with mixed, mingled with her tears, has wept over the feet of Jesus. She's going early to the tomb. It's Sunday morning, pre-dawn. It's dark. She's moving alone. When she comes to that garden, the, the, the stone is rolled away. A guest, she steps up. Where are the guards? There's nobody there. Even in the gathering dim light, as she peers into the sepulcher, there's no body on that rock slab. They have stolen his body. Blind with tears, she races to the empty alleyways of Jerusalem, up those stairs. She pounds with two fists on the wooden door. Let me in. It's Mary. Let me in. Peter and John comes. She says, they have stolen our Lord's body. Move aside, girl. They start running. Peter and John. And it's John who will tell the story in the end. And one thing I don't like about John, he really pushes his youth right up to the end. Because he tells that, listen, we started running, but I beat Peter to the tomb. Three times in that simple story, he has to remind us, I beat him. That's the way the young are. They're just always rubbing it in. I'm faster than you. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. Peter never forgot it. John wouldn't let him. Those boys grew up together. Peter's a little older, of course. They were fishermen together. John gets there first. He's a little more timid than Peter. He's about 20, 21, 22. That's all. He won't go in that. He looks in. He can tell it's empty. I'm not going in there. Peter, <sighs> hey, move aside. Let me go look. Peter's in the dark. There's nothing there. But the grave robes are folded as if someone had the time to put his pajamas away. Can't be grave robbers. Nobody would fold their PJs. 
John says, I believed. I believed. Peter's still not sure. Mary somewhere crosses the boys. She doesn't see them. She's back to the tomb. She's sobbing now. Her heart is broken. It's not because of that alabaster that she spilled all over his feet. She is so glad now she did, but he's gone. The body. Now it's growing lighter. She steps up to the mouth of that empty sepulcher, and she looks in, and there are two young men in white, one at the head, one at the foot of the slab, and they speak together. Lady, why are you weeping? She said, if you've, if you've taken his body, tell me. She turns around just, just in time to see there's a shadow. It's still dawn. There's a shadow of someone standing. She doesn't bother to look at him. He asks the same question. He says, lady, why are you crying? Oh, sir. She thinks it's the gardener. Oh, sir, if you have taken his body, let me take him off your hands, please. And then he speaks. Mary, I tell you what. The day is coming when I will hear my mother call my name again. The day is coming when I'll hear my dad, after all these years, call my name again. I won't have to look around. I'll know in that instant to whom that voice belongs. She whirls. Of course it's Jesus. She's on the ground. She's grabbing his feet. You're not getting away from me this time. No, no, no. And Jesus speaks. Here's why I want to pick it up. Come on, John 20. You got your Bible here. Open your Bible to John 20, please. John 20. Drop down to verse 17. Jesus is going to talk now. Jesus is speaking to Mary. The dawn light is growing as a new day begins. Jesus said to Mary, do not hold to me, for I have not yet ascended to the, to the Father. Now, look, I'm putting this clicker down. That is an amazing revelation of who this Lord Jesus is. He is the king of the universe. He has proved it beyond the shadow of universal doubt. Those scars belong to the Messiah, and I must, because God is big on ritual. Come on up here, son, when you're done, and we'll do the big celebration. He does not go. You know why? Because he has a heartbroken friend who's been sobbing in the early dawn. And he can't go until he has a moment with her. Isn't that beautiful? I could be, up, I could be in heaven right now to get the seal of approval on what just took place at Calvary on that Good Friday. No, 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 Mary. I knew you were coming. I knew you wouldn't forget. Mary, 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 don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go. The first commission, mission commission in the history of Christianity has now been spoken by the resurrected king. Go. He'll say it again. Go. He'll say it again. Go. Before he leaves, he'll say it again. Go instead to my brothers. And you tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went. This is the first post-resurrection evangelist moving into action. She has heard the word go, and she is obeying. And by the way, she is a she. The first evangelist of Christianity was a she. 
I thought I'd get an amen from maybe half the audience, but... <laughs> Mary Magdalene went. You know what? She only has one message. She went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. That's all you do when you go for Jesus. You just tell them, I, I saw him. He's alive. That's the word. He's alive. It's okay. The world is in chaos today. This nation doesn't know what is happening next. That's okay. I got good news for you. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Wow. And she told them that he had said these things to her, but keep reading because the whole point of going to this story is just about to happen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, hit the pause button right there. I just want you to know that's not a praise service. Thank you, Chuck and Dan and Debbie, for the praise service we had here. This is, that is, this is not a praise service going on. This is not a prayer meeting going on. They're not sitting in a circle singing kumbaya. They're there for one reason. They're scared spitless that the authorities that have murdered their leader are soon to murder them all. For fear of the Jewish leaders, they have locked that door. There's no worship service on a Sunday night. Suddenly, there he is. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, shalom, peace be to you. And after he said this, because they go berserk, Luke tells us that they think he's a, an apparition, a spirit. So Jesus says, hey, yo, 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 stop, stop, look, look. And he shows them, look, it's me. This is me. The disciples were, oh, I love this, were overjoyed now when they saw, finally, they see who this is. It's the Lord himself. Again, Jesus says, shalom be with you. And here it comes, the line that we will return to often in the few weeks of winter. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's one of the most profound summaries of mission in all of Holy Scripture. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That's what it means to be on a mission. You know, they have these, NASA has these missions to space where eventually we're going to put together, God willing, if time should last, we're going to put a mission together to Mars. I don't know how many years, and I don't want to be on that trip. But somebody wants to be on it. A mission to Mars. We call this a mission. We, we have what we call diplomatic missions. That's when the government of one country sends representatives. They're sent from the government to another country. Jesus has a mission. That means he gets a hold of you and he says, girl, he says, boy, I'm sending you. You're on my mission now. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. Is this good news or bad news? Are you kidding? It's good news. The big question is, what, why did the Father send the Son? Because if we can find out why the Father sent the Son, could it be it's the same reason why the Son sends you and me? And then, we, of course, we have to go to the, the greatest text in all of Scripture. The whole world knows that Christ, this is the, the number, numero uno favorite of Christians, John 3.16. We could do it right now from memory, but let's not. John 3.16, you just say it through your mask. God and, and the person sitting next to you will hear you. For God so loved the world. Come on, let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The whole world knows John 3.16, and all of Christendom knows John 3.16, but nobody knows John 3.17. We memorize 16 and forget there was ever a 17. I want to show you 17, because 17 now opens up, reveals the good news. Of course, this is wonderful news in 316, but look at 17. Why did he come? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, 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 no. But to what? To save the world through him. Jesus did not come the first time to condemn the world. He came the first time to save the world. And I have great news for you. When he comes a second time soon, when he comes a second time soon, he is not coming to condemn this planet. He is coming to save the world. Do you understand that? It is very good news. He's coming to save the human race. Now, if you don't want to be saved, that's your call. But he'll save every man, woman, and child that says, you know what? I'd love to be saved. Would you please save me? That's it. The problem with many of us, if we're honest, is that when we think of mission, all right, the word mission, we think of bad news. Because, you see, mission is the message. The world is coming to an end. No, yes, it is. In fact, if you don't turn your life around, you're dead meat. No. Yes, that's true. And in fact, let me tell you, there's a judgment going on right now, and you ought to see that judge. Oh. That's what we think mission is. And that's craziness. We are our own worst enemies. The good news, we just read it. The good news is the truth about God. And we just read it. Let's read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. On the authority of what we have just read, on the authority of this good news, guess what? Your mission is a winning mission, which means right after church, you can sit down at your, at your social media keyboard and you can start typing. You got to hear what the good news really is. I, I'm telling you what, John 3, 16. Oh, and by the way, don't just read 16. Please read verse 17, because the good news is God is not somebody to be afraid of. He's somebody to be a friend of. The good news is Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And guess what? Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, it's not to condemn the world. He's coming to save the world. That's the good news. And that's how fast you can fulfill this call. As the Father has sent me, I've sent you. You take the same message that I brought to this planet. You take it to the planet again for me. Be on mission for me. Isn't that great? We got all this, oh, man, mission is such bad news. I hate mission. What? It's the greatest news there is. Jesus is coming again not to condemn the world. He's coming to save the world. I'm telling you, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to reinforce it anyway. If ever there were a moment for this very good news to be understood in America, it's right now. This good news on the planet It has to be right now. In fact, I'll tell you this. 
Thanks to this pandemic and the most recent insurrection, political chaos, election crisis, we need no more evidence to be reminded, listen, that the good old days are gone forever. I know there are people even around here thinking, well, one of, the, one of these days, the good old days of education will return. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Now, the pandemic has rewritten everything. And you are naive, and so am I. If I think the golden years will come back, they will not come back. The golden years of education are past. The golden years of church and worship are past. They're not coming back. I don't care when this pandemic lifts and if they, if they say, take your masks off, they'll not all come back. To a pastor across this land, and I've talked to many during this pandemic, the, 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 the one concern is the question, will they come back at all? The golden years are behind us. This church used to be packed to the gills. We'll never see that again, ever. The golden years are behind us. Well, let's just call them what they are. The good old days. The good old days of politics, guess what? Gone. The good old days of the economy, guess what? Gone. Ah, oh, don't fool me. Don't be fooled by the stock market. That market that, that goes like a Roman candle into the air comes down like a bomb, and it'll go drop lower. Yeah. Now the golden days, the good old days of, of government. Back there. So we need to join this young damsel and raise our hands and say, Goodbye, good old days, because we're not going back. Sorry for a little bit of doom and gloom in the midst of all this good news. <laughs> Except I heard what that sounded like. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, there is one stunning exception, and i got to slip this in. There's one stunning exception. There's something where the good old days for this one stunning exception are yet ahead. And do you know what that stunning exception is? It's called mission. Because the darker it gets, the stronger mission becomes. you got to believe. you got to know that's the case. Why does the church grow in communist China? Because it went dark. And when it went dark, boom, that church exploded. Why did it do that in the first century in the Roman Empire? Because when it went dark, that light burst into existence. The good old days for mission are still ahead. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. So let's say we have a, let's, a lot of your houses have basements in them. So we're going to the door of your basement, and the top, the, the top landing right here, we'll call this the good old days right here, okay? There's a stairway going down to the dark. Right? So we'll call this, we'll call this the good old days. Okay? That's the good old days. Not now. Because about 10 months ago, right now, shoo, the country and the world dropped. And now we're on a level called pandemic, COVID-19. God bless our front, front line workers keeping us alive. But that's where we are right now. And then we run into a little thing called election crisis. Boom. We took another step down. Every step down is darker. That's where we were until this week when we ran into insurrection crisis. Down. And now we're down here. I don't know what the next step will bring. 
I just know this, that a writer I place a lot of uh, faith in, put it this way, a century ago, these calamities will increase more and more. One disaster will follow close on the heels of another. Boom. 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 All the way down to darkness. But the good news, and here's what you got to get. The good news is that the farther down the stairs go, the brighter grows the mission. And it's good news. Come on. You're going to have to trust me on this one. The farther we go, in fact, let's just put it on the screen. The darker the night, the brighter the light. We have, we have, we have social scientists now. Listen to this. Social scientists. You say, Dry, what's so good news about the bad news? Listen to this social scientist, Michael Barkin. He's done some research, and he's discovered people's reactions to disasters and crises, which we just went through this week, and we have more coming. Disasters and crises, I'm quoting now, create conditions peculiarly fitted to the rapid alteration of belief systems, end quote. Do you know what that means? That means this. When we go into crisis, as we do, and we were feeling like it was a big crisis Wednesday afternoon, we kind of tempered down. But when, when, when crisis happens... What happens is my security that I was counting on, like a rug, is pulled out. And when the foundation that we're on is pulled out, we're now grasping for anything to make me secure again. What was that? Uh, Disasters create are particularly fitted to the rapid alteration of belief systems. Listen, here's the good news. Because of crises, people open up wider and wider to what they kept saying no to before. We're in a land dominantly of non-believers. Crises, they say there are no atheists in a foxhole. What's that mean? That means a crisis. That means a crisis immediately creates a paradigm shift. And you're suddenly confronted with a new reality you had not counted on. Now what do I believe? That's great news for the good news. God doesn't even have to create the crisis. He may trigger political crises to get his mission going, but he doesn't have to. And that's why... That's why, now listen, that's why the message of mission needs to be very simple. You don't roll out 28 different subjects, as important as those subjects are. You're going to have to get this down to one little, one little word. I'm here on social media. Come on, don't give me a lot. Just give me something to tell. Once you get down to that one word, you can be set ablaze with the one word. And I'm going to give you one sentence now that I hope you will memorize by the end of this short winter series. And here it is. It's that wonderful book on the parables of Jesus, Christ's Object Lessons. I'm going to read the one sentence to you. Don't you ever forget this sentence. The last rays of merciful light on this planet before the return of Jesus. The last rays of merciful light, the last message. Here it is. Okay, I want to know, what's the one message I need to have on the tip of my tongue? Here it is. The last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his, God's character of love. End quote. One sentence. That's it. 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One sentence. The love of God. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. This was all done because the human race is loved by God. This was all done because the human race is still loved by God, and he's coming back. He's coming back. One sentence. The darker the hour, the further down the staircase we descend, the more critical our mission and message need to be laser-focused on a revelation of God's love. Uncomplicated. We have complicated it. We have to uncomplicate it, get down to one truth, and ride that truth as the greatest news the universe has ever heard. Wednesday, in all the images coming out of that riot and insurrection and tragedy, one sticks quite obliquely in my mind. It was a yellow banner. I don't know if you saw this. It's a yellow banner waving in the breeze near the Capitol building Wednesday afternoon, 2021. A yellow banner and emblazoned on it Two words, Jesus saves. I'm looking at that, and I'm watching, I'm watching this mob moving to take down the building, and I'm saying, you know what, Dwight? There's something incongruent about Jesus saves from a mob is doing what it's doing. Somebody's very confused about Jesus' role in all of this. Somebody's terribly confused. Jesus saves. Is that what you think this is about? Right above the sentence that we are memorizing are these words, and I'm going to Put them on the screen. It is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. People don't know diddly squat about Jesus and God. You can carry all the yellow banners you want. Men and women are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What's the message you're sending me with, Lord Jesus? Here it is. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is to be a revelation of God's character of love. Period. End of sentence. That's it. We're not talking about a complicated message. Just look at it. We're not talking about a difficult mission. Just tell the people that you've discovered the love of God. Tell the people what Mary said. Hey, I found out Jesus is alive. I thought you ought to know. He's alive. Just let him see it in you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Yeah, but do I? Come on, come on, come on. Come on, boy. Have you forgotten we're in a pandemic? We can't do anything in a pandemic. No, I haven't forgotten, actually. That's the precise reason for this new series that begins right now. We're going to share with you strategies in the midst of the pandemic that you can exercise without going door to door. 
strategies that will enable you to be the sent one that Jesus has said you are. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What can I do? Watch. We've made this a mountain to climb when it's a glorious opportunity to to embrace. Don't miss next week. Or the truth of God's character. You know, we just touched on it here, but we're going to just zero in on the truth of that character, and it's going to shine. Title of next week, Love Story for a Dark Winter. And by the way, I want to invite you to bring your friends. You say, well, Dwight, we've got a physical distance here. There's not a lot of space. No, we still have some. We've got, we've got uh, a youth chapel. Bring your friends. You want to be the sent? Your first act as the sent one is just say, hey, you got, there's something you need to figure out. I was kind of intrigued with it, and why don't you come and join me? We got room. Tell your friends. Why not? Winter's short. We'll fill some of these gray days with what we can be doing now. The last rays of merciful light. The last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. Wow. I want you to respond to this. Do, do, do you mind? Just, just, you're sitting here, just, just uh, type, type this in on, you know, on your little, um, your, your, uh, Internet, pmchurch.org slash connect. You're watching right now. You're already at that site. But when you put the slash connect, here's the deal. It takes us to a page that looks like this. My next step today is. Box one, I want to be on mission just like Jesus was. I want to share the truth about God's character of love. Guess what? Me too. Box number two, it's a little prayer. God, open my eyes to someone this week who needs to see the love of God in me. I don't know what's going to happen this week. We're all locked down on campus now. We're locked down in the community still. Well, we're kind of moving around half, halfway. Open my eyes if there's somebody that needs to see the love of God. And then box number three, I want to be baptized and become a follower of Jesus with a mission and purpose for my life this new year. Because when you're not following Jesus, you may have a purpose, but it's not the most fulfilling purpose yet dreamed and envisioned for you. You haven't been baptized? Just put a check mark there. We're going to have some beautiful baptisms coming up uh, this new year. But yeah, you're not going to be baptized when you put a check mark there. It gives us just a chance. Electronically, come on, electronically, we'll be in touch with you. Why not? Why go through life without a life mission? Jesus is the greatest life mission you'll ever find in your life. Bring your friend next week. Give your friend a chance to, to begin to respond. Oh, God, it really is that simple, isn't it? Sorry, we've complicated it so. Jesus, we hear you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He sent me to bring the good tidings of great love. I haven't come to condemn. I've come to save. I need you to take those same great tidings to whomever. Dear Father, Turn this moment into a quiet commitment to become the sent ones for Jesus wherever you lead us this new year. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.